before I get started into the message today, we have an announcement for you. An announcement that all of us have been waiting for here at Life Center Canada about the campus pastor position. I am so thrilled to announce that Pastor Mitchell Pitt has accepted the position of Canada campus pastor. He was here a few weeks ago in August and spoke to us. And after an intensive time of interviewing, I truly have to tell you, church, that I could not have made up someone in my mind with such character, integrity, passion for Jesus, a passionate faith walk, a, a passion for this community, lives in this community, and a hunger to see this community touched by Jesus. And so we are so thrilled to be able to welcome Pastor Mitch and his family here as a campus pastor in Canada. And honestly, we need to give the Lord a praise clap for that because this is a miracle. It truly is a miracle. Pastor Mitch comes to us from Bethel Pentecostal Church, so I'm just going to ask you not to text your friends or tweet, and if you know anybody at Bethel, keep it quiet just for like another hour and a half, because their service doesn't start till 1030, and they're going to find out today at the same time, and although for us this is such a good announcement, we're so excited about what God has in store, we're so excited that God has prepared him to step into this position for such a time as this, it also is a sad day for Bethel, who's losing one of their staff um, who's been with them for 12 years. And so let's take a minute and just pray for their church and pray for their community and pray for what God has. We want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Sandra and Peter McIntosh, who are the pastors at Bethel, who have approached all of this with such open-handedness and just such a kingdom mindset in all of it. And so we so, so appreciate it. Let's just take a moment and thank the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for the gift that you have sent us in Pastor Mitch. God, we're, we're so grateful um, that you have prepared him for such a time as this to step into leadership for what it is that you have gone ahead and already prepared in advance. And Father, we lift up Bethel Pentecostal Church right here in our city. And Father, we know that you also have them in your hands. And so we pray for the provision, the same provision that you have given to us, that God, that you would do for them, the miracle of provision. And we pray a blessing on that church community. And we pray a blessing on their pastors, Father, as they lead through this transition over there. And Father, as we prepare to dive into the word today, would you open up our hearts and would you prepare us for what it is that you have for us? We want to receive it into our spirit, not just into our head, but into our spirit. We want to receive it because we want to be changed today. We want to be changed and made new. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Guys, this is good news. This is good news. This is exciting news. So Pastor Mitch will be starting um, sort of mid-October. He'll do some training and probably be here on site sometime in November. So coming up in just a couple of months. We're so thankful for that. Well, last Sunday, we began our brand new series, Listen, Love, Lead. And this is going to be the focus of our year. And we launched last week, our vision website at lifecenter.org, where we want to hear from you. We want to hear what God is speaking to your life. What is he saying? What do you see him at work doing in your own life, in our city, in our church? And where do you see the enemy at work? And you might say, well, what, what, why does my voice matter? 
because we are all a part of the body of Christ and God's gonna give each of us different pieces to the puzzle. And as we seek him in this season and as we really listen for what he has for us in the coming years ahead, we wanna listen to one another in that posture, in that same posture. And the truth is that if our leading is devoid of genuine listening to one another and listening to God and genuinely loving each other. The result is not that we step into the leadership of what God has given us, but instead we end up leaving. We end up leaving one another. And that is something that we want to stop. And we know that that's not going to change overnight. But what it requires is something called resiliency. And I want everyone to say resiliency. How many would say, I could use some resiliency? How many would say, when you look around at the culture, we could use some more resiliency? Yeah, it is the cry of our heart. And so we want to discuss all year long, we're going to be focusing around this all year long, but specifically over the next five weeks, attributes that make us resilient followers of Jesus. There's a book, and it's called Faith, Faith for Exiles, written by David Kinman and Mark Matlock. And he, they define, through tons and tons and tons of research, resilient disciples are defined by these characteristics. Resilient disciples love Jesus. They love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Resilient disciples trust Scripture. Resilient disciples engage in meaningful relationships. They engage purpose, walking in their spiritual gifts and serving one another and the, for the mutual upbuilding of the church in their spiritual gifts. And they step into countercultural mission. So they are in the world, but they are not of the world. And as we introduce each one of these factors, we pray that each one of us approach this with a listening posture, first for ourselves, and then secondly, for the other disciples that we are going to be making. Go and make disciples. It's the call for all believers. So resilient disciples accept the invitation of Jesus in these three areas. They embrace that discipleship is a lifelong adventure. If you have been a follower of Jesus for more than one year's time, you know that discipleship is a lifelong adventure. It does not happen overnight. When you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender your life, you are fully justified. God takes away your sin. He writes you before God. But the process of sanctification, the process of discipleship happens over the course of our entire lives. And our worship determines our direction. What is it that we worship? Whatever it is that we worship, we're facing that. That's the direction we're going in. If we worship money, then we're going to look to money to fulfill all our needs. If we worship our family, then we're going to look to our family to fulfill all of our needs. The second factor is that resilient disciples trust Jesus to speak to them in a way that is relevant to their lives. God wants to speak to each and every one of you personally and regularly 
in a way that is relevant to your life. And, and when we place our trust, it's a lot like our worship. When we place our trust in the wrong areas, in the places where it cannot sustain the weight of our life, what happens is that when those things fall, our life crumbles underneath us. Like, for example, if we put all the weight of our trust in our job as our provider, then when we lose our job, our life bottoms out underneath us. Resilient disciples know that in their following Jesus, it brings them deep joy and satisfaction. And wouldn't you say this truly is the goal of every life, whether you follow Jesus or not, that sure, you can desire a better job and you can desire more money and you can desire relationships and you can desire all kinds of things. But if you have all of those things and you don't have deep abiding joy, you don't have satisfaction, you don't have fulfillment, what really do you have? The scriptures say, seek first the kingdom, and then all of these things will be added to you. And so accepting the invitation to follow Jesus is always directional. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about invitations and direction. You see, resilient disciples love Jesus, and his greatest commandments are rooted in love. And that's where we want to park today, around loving Jesus. Resilient disciples love Jesus. And in Mark 12, verses 30 to 31, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. You see, love, it involves a lot of feelings and emotions, and it invites us into relationship. But in time, love must become directional. Jason and I met when we were 17 and 18 years old. Is there anybody here that's somewhere around 17, 18? Just give me a wave if you're, you're oh, okay, Allie. My sweet daughter, Allie, joined me today. Isn't that so nice? I love having her here. So she's 17. This is actually crazy. I'm actually having a moment here thinking of you being 17. Okay, so I'm 17 years old. Jason and I meet for the very first time. And after three days of meeting him, I'm not joking, three days, he told me he loved me. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you. That's so nice. I literally said, that's nice. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, three days, three days. Who says they love someone after three days? Well, obviously, he knew, right? You know how the story turns out. We met at a family camp in the United States, both away from home, and there was lots of feelings and lots of emotions and all the butterflies and all the infatuation that comes with young love. But at some point along the way, all of those feelings needed to take a direction. They needed to actually lead to the action of truly loving each other if the relationship was going to last. And the odds were against us. Being so young, we were both from different cities. We lived six hour drive apart. Yet here we are 27 years married. Now, if someone says they love you, but their life direction never turns towards you. The action of love never turns towards you. We struggle to trust that those words are true. They may feel all the love in the world, but if that love seldom actually moves towards you in your direction, it's difficult to trust it. And I wanna ask you a question today. How often do we say we love Jesus? How often do we say, I love you, God. I feel all the love for you, but our 
actions don't show the same thing that we say with our words. The command from Jesus to love God with all of our hearts originated in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. And I want you to listen to how it's written the very first time that it was said in the scriptures. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." When we break this down, here is what it is saying to us. This is called the Shema. Shema means listen and obey. First of all, I don't know about you, but we as humans don't really like to be told to listen and obey, do we? I mean, it starts like this big. You need to listen to mommy. You need to obey. We don't like it. Everything inside of us is like, oh, really? Oh, really? I'll show you what I want to do. It's rebellion in the human heart. It's the way we're wired. So God says to his people, you need to listen and you need to obey. And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, and all your might. And how do we do this? I love how it unpacks it in Deuteronomy because it says, you need to do it from your heart. Your motive matters. Sure, we can choose to love from duty. We can choose to love through, from relig religious obligation, from responsibility. But is that really the kind of love we're being invited into? If your husband or your wife or your mother or your father said to you, I love you because I have to, that would, quite, that would feel quite hollow in relationship with someone. And it will affect our fulfillment in that relationship. The scripture says, teach this to your children. You know, we have to teach this to our children because they are the next ones that are going to lead the way in the world. We need to talk about it in our home. We need to talk about it while we're going for walks. In everything we do, in our leisure, in our coming, in our going, before we sleep and before we wake up, we need to literally begin by saying, God, how do I love you and how do I love others in everything that I do? And then it says, bind them on your hand. And I thought about it like this. I thought about, imagine if we put a pair of gloves on and those gloves reminded us that everything we touch and everything we do needs to come through the lens of loving God. But I actually think that's not quite enough. To bind them on your hands is like, I'm going to have to pull the microphone away, but it's literally like binding ourselves, constraining ourselves to this call of loving God and loving others in everything we do. And in fact, I'm going to take it even further. It's like binding ourselves to Jesus himself to say, Jesus, can I be your hands and your feet to show your love to the world? It's constraining, but it's beautiful and it's fulfilling, and it's an invitation. And then it says, between your eyes, because God wants everything we see to be through the lens of love. He wants everything that comes through our eyes, all of creation, one another, everything we see to come through the lens of loving God and loving people. 
And then it says, put it on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I got this in Israel when I went, and it's called a mezuzah. And the Jewish people actually put this. It's got a scroll inside of it with love the Lord your God, the Shema on it, that whole scripture. And you put it on your doorpost. And when you leave, you touch it to remember, I need to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength from my heart place in everything I do as I go. And then when you come home, you touch it again to remind yourself, I need to love God. And that is what resilient discipleship is all about. That's what being resilient disciples is all about. It touches every single area of our life, every single part of who we are. Now, I want to backtrack for a second to 1 John 4.19. It says, we love because he first loved us. And, and I think in order to love God, in order to truly love God, we actually have to anchor to the truth that we were loved first that God actually saw us and loved us first. We need to anchor to this, and from that place we love God, not the other way around. And I want you to know here today that God loves you. I mean like he really, really loves you. And if there's things that go on in your mind that disqualify you from the love of God, where you disqualify yourself from the love of God, I'm here to tell you today, God loves you completely, wholly, and radically. And it's from that place and only that place that you are going to be able to step into this mission as a resilient disciple of Jesus to love God with all of your heart. You need to believe that he loves you. Because love becomes a direction, but first, it's an invitation. And I'm going to show you what Jesus did with his disciples in Mark 1, verses 16 to 20. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, before Simon and Andrew could follow Jesus, Jesus actually sees them first, and he invites them. And then to follow Jesus, they actually leave their nets. James and John leave their father, accepting Jesus' invitation to turn their lives into a new and different direction. Now, isn't this an interesting kind of leaving? Because as Jesus calls them, and as Jesus invites them to come and follow him, there's a leaving that is required. But it's not the same leaving that we talked about at the beginning, is it? It's not the same thing at all. Because sometimes when Jesus calls us and when he invites us, we actually have to leave things we're holding on to down. We have to put them down in order to follow the call and the new direction that God has for us. And as they trust and follow, they begin to discover how much Jesus genuinely and wholeheartedly and completely loves them. Have you had a follow me moment with Jesus? If not, maybe today. Jesus is inviting you into your very own personal follow me moment with him. In the summer of 1996, I was visiting the Brownsville Revival. 
as nothing more than a spectator. I would say that I was a Christian, and I said I loved God with my words, but God did not have my whole heart. We were in a church service, and I was annoyed that there were no seats left, and we were put in this Sunday school side room with fold-out chairs with about 50 to 100 people and the service on this fold-out screen. And when I think about my posture at that time, it grieves my spirit so much. I want you to think about this for a second, church. This was a revival where thousands and thousands of people were coming to find Jesus every single day of the week. I want you to imagine Life Center Canada with all of these chairs filled and then hundreds of more people out the door. And we've got to put them in the prayer room and we've got to put them in the cafe and we've got to put them anywhere we can put a screen because they're so hungry for Jesus. And I'm sitting on one of these chairs with my arms folded like, oh, this is so annoying. I can't believe we're in this side room. Oh, that, that. So that's the state of my heart. And it grieves my heart now to think about that. The worship began, and I closed my eyes, and all of a sudden, I, I almost feel like I had no control of my body, but my two arms shot up into the air like this, straight up like this, both arms into the air, and the Holy Spirit fell on me in a powerful and a life-transforming way, and I began to weep uncontrollably, and a realization came to my life in that moment that I was loved by God. I was truly and personally loved by God and that he had a plan for my life. And in that moment, I surrendered it all. Everything I had, everything I desired, all of my lack, I surrendered it all. And I said yes to follow him for whatever he had. And I, and I didn't know what he had at the time. I just said yes. I just said yes. Whatever it means, yes. You see, when following Jesus becomes relational and not merely religious, everything changes. We're invited into love. Religion can be defined as belonging or relating to a group of people who are united by their practice of religion. It's the things that we do to try to earn favor with God, the rules we follow, the rituals that we practice to earn acceptance from God. But think about how many places we see this in our culture. This doesn't just happen with God, our deity. Ways that we must perform to be accepted. Rules about what we cannot say and can say. About how we can behave, what we can do, and what we can't do. But a relationship is an entirely different thing. A relationship means loving Jesus impacts every part of our life and brings us true joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment deep in the recesses of our soul. Religion without relationship at its core lacks genuine love. And we cannot be resilient disciples if our motive is rooted in a religious spirit with obligation and duty. In resilient disciples, loving God flows from our heart, our eyes, our hands, everything we do and everything we are. He's in our homes, he's in our leisure, he's everywhere and in everything, and it transforms every part of our lives. And this was the invitation from Jesus to Simon and Andrew and James and John. In two words, he said, follow me. 
and this promise of Jesus was rooted in love. If, if they will follow, that's the invitation in relationship amidst all kinds of religious traditions going on at that time, then he would make them into who they were always designed and created to be. That's the direction. And this week, I want you to pay attention to how many invitations from other beliefs come your way that come with making some sort of promise to you. Invitations, they might not contain the words, follow me, but they always contain these two things, direction and promise. Buy these weight loss pills and you'll lose 20 pounds in the next month. I'm not going to lie, a couple months ago, I got sucked down a rabbit hole thinking, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. I, you know, the COVID-20, I was up, and I was like, okay, I need these. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. They don't work. They don't work. I literally, Lori, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, they don't work. Get back to the gym. Okay, okay, right? Get back to the gym. <laughs> I know. Jeff, Jeff knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Manifest what you want, and into the universe and it will come to you. Have we heard this? Do we hear this? Listen, friends, that's demonic. That is not of this kingdom. That is not of this kingdom. Need a quick way to make money? It's probably illegal. Stay away from it. There are no quick ways to make money. Stay away. But all of these invitations come and they come with direction and promise. And I want you to pay attention to the ones you're intrigued by, the ones that you're actually tempted by, because they're probably trying to invite you into a partnership where you have an area of existing struggle or maybe even a stronghold in your life. Pay attention to these things. You see, what sets Jesus apart is his love. Even if we say no, even when we reject him, his love will continue to knock. Even when we run in the other direction, he's available. He will pursue you throughout your entire lives. In Matthew chapter 14, we find the disciples in a storm, afraid for their lives. They looked out to the sea, to what they thought was a ghost walking to them, and they were absolutely terrified. And listen to what Jesus says. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. There are some of you here today, and you're walking through a storm. And you cannot see that God is right there with you. Maybe you feel a little bit like Gideon today, and you're saying, God, but if you're with me, why are all these bad things happening? Why is my life so terrible right now if you're really with me? But I want you to hear the voice of Jesus through your storm saying to you today, this is a word for your spirit today, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Marvin Williams says this, when we experience deep waters and dark nights, when we can't see Jesus, Jesus sees us. When we can't come to Jesus, Jesus comes to us. When we can't speak to Jesus, Jesus speaks to us. And he says, take courage. Don't be afraid. I am here. And so from love, Jesus invites us to trust and to not be afraid. But watch what Peter does in this story. We're going to continue in verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, 
If it is you, command me to come out onto the water. Okay, now watch this invitation and direction that is happening. And remember Jesus' original promise. He said, follow me and I will make you. So here comes another invitation. Jesus says to him, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. The invitation was this, come to where I am. Come to what I am doing. And just like on the shore that day, for Peter, in order to be where Jesus was, to do what Jesus was doing, he had to move into the direction of where Jesus was. But Jesus was already there calling him to come. What a beautiful exchange. Where is that exchange happening in your life today? Jesus is calling you to come. His direction is already toward you. Is your direction toward him? Let's continue verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What does Jesus do? Immediately, he reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then he got into the boat and the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Do you hear the voice of Jesus over your life, over your story, over your circumstance today? Reaching out, reaching out to you to hold your hand, to remind you, I am with you. I am right here with you. You are never alone. Your storm does not have the last say. The Son of God literally holds you and invites you to follow him, to go where he's going, and to do what he is doing. And you see, in life, accepting an invitation to follow is always directional. So what direction are you going? The disciples in the boat accept that it is Jesus. It's not a ghost, and their fears are calmed. Peter accepts the invitation to go where Jesus is and to do what Jesus is doing. And what does he discover there? He discovers that with Jesus, he can do what he cannot do without Jesus. Sure, Peter falls short, and we all do. I fall short all the time. How about you? We all fall short, but for a moment, Peter does the impossible. Even when he takes his eyes off Jesus... Love reaches out and grabs a hold of his hand and pulls him back. And the invitation is this. If you keep following me, Peter, I will keep forming you to be who you've always been created and destined to be. And that's the promise for you here today. If you will keep following Jesus, he will keep forming you and creating you into the person that you've always been created to be. As we wrap up today, there was another storm that we see in Scripture in the book of Jonah. And this storm was actually sent by God to arrest Jonah from running away from God. Have you ever imagined that a storm could be sent into your life to arrest you from running away from God instead of towards him? I'm not going to get into a debate right now about where the storms in our life come from. Do they come from God? Do they come from the enemy? The reality is, I don't think we will always know the answer to that question. 
But I am sure of this, that God wants to use every single storm in our life to draw us closer to himself. His hand is extended and he is drawing us and inviting us to come closer. And so I ask you today, is your storm of busyness and stress and worry and dread to arrest you from running away from intimacy with God? Is your storm of depression and anxiety and fear to arrest you from running away from the pain of your past? Jesus wants to bring healing. Is your storm of perfectionism and people-pleasing and striving and earning to arrest you from embracing the God-given gift of limits to your life? I don't know what the storm is that you're facing, and I don't know why it rages, but maybe, just maybe, God is reaching out to you and inviting you to trust him to a new level today. You see, resilient disciples, they accept the invitation of Jesus in these three ways. They embrace that discipleship is a lifelong adventure. We're going to fall short, but our worship determines our direction. What direction are you facing today? Resilient disciples trust Jesus to speak to them in a way that is relevant and personal to their life. God wants to speak to you today personally, and their following Jesus brings them deep joy and satisfaction. There is a joy and a satisfaction that is available for you in Jesus today. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we take a moment and pray. And I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer with me today. If you want to continue on the journey of becoming a resilient disciple of Jesus, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer. Together, let's say, Dear Jesus, I receive your invitation to follow you today. I trust you with the direction of my life. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Help me to seek first your kingdom and keep forming me to be who you have designed me to be. Help me to be a resilient disciple. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.